This is the mop-up for August 30th, 2023. I'm David Feldman. Earlier this month, the Hawaiian island of Maui was devastated by wildfires. During the first two days of intensive coverage, according to Media Matters, America's major networks, that would be ABC, CBS, and NBC, as well as CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, dedicated a total of 11 hours and 45 minutes of coverage to the wildfires. Now, according to Media Matters, which studies these types of things, those nearly 12 hours of coverage of covering the Hawaiian wildfires, those uh, 12 hours were comprised of 209 individual segments or stories. And according to Media Matters, only 4% of those segments ever mentioned the link between man-made climate change and the devastation we saw in Hawaii. As we pointed out on this show, wildfires have quadrupled in Hawaii since 2003, and that is because man-made climate change results in less rain, drier underbrush, and that underbrush serves as an accelerant when lightning or a downed power line sparks a fire. Earlier this month, we reported that the waters off the coast of Florida reached record highs, making Florida beaches the hottest on the planet, hotter than anything you'd find in the Persian Gulf. We're talking about hot tub, the same temperature. It's above 100 degrees, like 101, 102 degrees. It's like a hot tub. Greenhouse gases are heating up the waters. And we all know by now that the hotter the water, the more severe the hurricanes And hurricanes in Florida are becoming more frequent and more intense because of man-made climate change, which the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, calls a hoax. Man-made climate change is getting worse, especially in Florida, where nobody can afford homeowners insurance because of man-made climate change. The Sierra Club gives Ron DeSantis a D. And if elected, Ron DeSantis promises to increase drilling and defund the Environmental Protection Agency. As governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis has passed major legislation forbidding, and I wish I were making this up, major legislation forbidding local counties and cities to get their power from sources of energy other than fossil fuels. Hurricane Idalia, a Category 2, is now barreling towards Florida and is expected to make landfall later this morning as a Category 4. Wind speeds in Florida have reached 100 miles per hour as tornadoes have been reported on the west coast of the state. As of right now, the hurricane is 125 miles off the coast of southwest Tampa, although they're not quite sure where exactly it could hit. Perhaps it'll move further west towards Tallahassee. Idalia is expected to pass through Florida on Wednesday and then maybe move north towards Georgia, North and South Carolina. It's going to head towards Georgia 
as well as North and South Carolina, and all three governors there have declared states of emergency. The storm is expected to hit Georgia by 8 p.m. later tonight, and then it might gain strength as it goes back out over the unseasonably warm Atlanta Ocean. A special session of the Tennessee legislature that had been convened to address the rising threat of gun violence ended Tuesday night with no legislation passed. The special session was convened by Republican Governor Bill Lee, but due to infighting within his own Republican Party, the session ended without any gun control legislation. There were reports of shoving as Republican Speaker Cameron Sexton tried to leave the building. Well, we have an update on Harrison William Prescott Floyd. He's the 39-year-old former leader of Black Voices for Trump, who was arrested last week, along with 18 other co-defendants and charged with racketeering in Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election in Georgia. Of all the defendants, he is the only one who remains behind bars this morning. Everyone else posted bond and left, but Floyd, for some reason, was deemed a flight risk. Out of 19 defendants, only one remains behind bars. It's the black man. It is now reported that Floyd has been granted a $100,000 bond, but he remains behind bars inside Fulton County Jail this morning. He is the only defendant out of all 19 to still be considered a flight risk. We're not quite sure why, but it seems to be because he was unable to post bond. But we're getting reports that he did post bond. He's still behind bars this morning. According to reporting late Tuesday night in the New York Times, Floyd is still locked up, but he was able to find an attorney by the name of Todd A. Harding, which seems to be the reason he has now been granted bond. He needed an attorney in order to be granted bond. Floyd turned himself in last week, was fingerprinted, his mugshot was taken, and told he told the judge, I can't afford a lawyer. The judge, for reasons still not known, refused to appoint a public defender. There are reports that she told him he could afford an attorney, so he's not getting a public defender. She then declared he was a flight risk and ordered him detained inside the overcrowded and unsanitary Fulton County Jail, where between 2009 and October 2022, more than 60 Fulton County Jail inmates died. That's the highest number of deaths in any Georgia jail on record. On August 18th, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reported that an inmate became the second detainee to die inside that jail in a week, making him the third to die in a month. There are reports that Floyd remains in jail because he was considered a flight risk because of an arrest back in February on a misdemeanor charge of assaulting two FBI agents who were trying to serve him a subpoena 
so he could testify before special counsel Jack Smith's grand jury. Floyd was arrested and then immediately released. So back then, he wasn't considered a flight risk. He was arrested in Maryland for a misdemeanor assault on two FBI agents. He was immediately released. He didn't spend a night in jail. He wasn't considered a flight risk in Maryland. But in Georgia, he comes in for his mugshot and he's fingerprinted. He was told he needed a lawyer in order to post bond. Otherwise, you're a flight risk. Welcome to Fulton County Jail. You know, if they're implementing the RICO statutes down in Georgia to put Trump and his co-defendants behind bars, maybe they can also charge lawyers and bail bond companies with racketeering as well. The Eighth Amendment of the Constitution forbids excessive bail, and the 14th Amendment guarantees equal protection under the law. How is it possibly equal protection under the law if you must stay in jail after an arrest because you can't afford bail or an attorney? It's not. That's why the Illinois Pretrial Fairness Act was passed in 2021, eliminating cash bail entirely despite objections from police, prosecutors, and, of course, the multi-million dollar bail bond industry. The state Supreme Court of Illinois upheld the law, which means on September 18th of this year, Illinois will become the first state in America to put the bail bond industry out of business, or at least out of business in Illinois. Imagine if we could put ExxonMobil out of business. Most of our problems stem from very rich people not wanting to go out of business. So on September 18th of this year, Illinois becomes the first state in America to get rid of cash bail. California tried this back in 2018 with SB 10. That was a law they passed, and it said money payments would not serve as a predeterminant on whether a judge keeps someone behind bars pre-trial or sends them home. It was passed and signed into law, but who opposed it? You guessed it, the bail bond industry in California. It's a multi-multi-million dollar business. So they launched a full court press on that piece of legislation, which was already passed, and they got a referendum on the ballot, then flooded the airwaves, scaring Californians that getting rid of cash bail would result in criminals roaming the streets. And the bad people of California voted to keep cash bail. Our criminal justice system stinks to high heaven because it's in the best interest of criminal attorneys and the bail bond industry to make jail and prison hell on earth. Americans will part with every penny they will mortgage their children to stay out of prison. Lawyers know that, and the bail bond industry knows that. Prosecutors know that, and it's why so many people die behind bars, because these the people who put people behind bars or 
or are paid to help you not go to prison. It's in their best interest to scare the living daylights out of everybody. They want our prisons to be hell on earth. It is in everybody's best interest except the American citizen for our prisons to be death traps. I must admit, I was surprised by the number of my listeners who said Harrison Floyd is a bad guy and deserves whatever happens to him. Many of my listeners wrote and said any black man who supports Donald Trump deserves to go to prison. They said they had no sympathy for him. Well, I couldn't respond to all the comments, but I'll do it right now. Is that what you would teach your children? Because I know they didn't teach me that in elementary school. Uh, I was taught that in America we are innocent until proven guilty. And what does that mean? It means the onus is on the state, the police, the prosecutor, to prove someone is guilty. And until they can do that, Harrison Floyd is innocent. How many black men, how many Americans, white men, poor men, but people of color especially, how many of them are behind bars this morning because they were falsely accused, presumed guilty, presumed guilty before they ever had a trial? How many people of color are behind bars this morning because they couldn't afford a good attorney? How many Americans are behind bars this morning waiting years for their trial? Half of Harrison Floyd's fellow inmates in Fulton County Jail this morning have yet to be charged, have yet to be indicted. Everybody deserves a trial, including Donald Trump. Uh, I know the vast majority of my listeners are Democrats, and too many of you seem to be okay with locking people up uh, before they get a trial. You know, it was Bill Clinton, who I voted for, Democrat, who signed into law the 1994 crime bill because liberal Democrats back then wanted to get tough on crime. And thanks to that bill, 2.5 million Americans are behind bars this morning. 4.5 million are on probation or parole. We have, because of Bill Clinton, become a carceral state. And that's big money. That's big money for the bail bonds industry, defense attorneys, the police, prison guard unions, and, of course, uh, you know, prosecutors, lawyers who need to maintain their lifestyle. We started in 1994 locking everybody up. And nobody ever thought, it never occurred to anybody to say, well, these prisons are going to get awfully crowded. Do you, are you sure we have enough room? The 1994 crime bill gave a financial incentive to the cops, gave them military hardware. It poured money into cities to make sure the prosecutors uh, could process as many people as possible as they could into those prisons and jails. But it never occurred to anyone that these prisons and jails would need to be renovated to house all these new customers. So 
before you're so keen to see someone punished before a trial because you've decided they deserve it, look at what that kind of thinking, that kind of liberal democratic thinking, as well as the we know the Republicans think that way, but, you know, Bill Clinton signed the crime bill into law. Joe Biden voted for it. So did Bernie Sanders, by the way. Uh, look at what that kind of thinking, where that gets us. Look at what the 1994 crime bill has done, not just to the millions of men and women behind bars this morning, but their children, their wives, husbands, fathers, and mothers. These people who get locked up eventually get released and they become a drain on society because nobody wants to hire them. And most importantly, they lose their right to vote in most states. You cannot vote in Florida if you're a convicted felon. Now, legally, the people of Florida voted to restore voting rights to felons, but Ron DeSantis and the Republicans passed legislation after the people of Florida voted to restore voting rights to felons, they passed legislation to make it fiscally prohibitive for an ex-con to try to vote. They make sure you've paid all your fines and that you don't owe the prison any money. Apparently, when you go to prison, it costs you money. You rack up fines inside the, uh, the prison. So locking these people up, you know, we have 2.5 million people behind bars right now, four and a half million on probation. Uh, let me tell you, that uh, is, is a drain on our democracy. Uh, I was taught in elementary school a person is innocent until uh, proven guilty. And you should never trust cops, judges, prosecutors, prison wardens, public defenders, or high-priced defense attorneys. They all make mistakes, as do juries. That's why we have trials, or we're supposed to have trials here in America. And then the right to appeal. You should trust nobody. We have 2.5 million people behind bars. Nobody can tell me what percentage of those people behind bars this morning ever got a trial. How many of them are waiting to be charged? How many are waiting to be indicted? How many are waiting for their trial? And how many decided to plea out? How many, how many of the 2.5 million behind bars this morning decided, you know what, I'll just plead guilty because they're going to lock me up anyway? No statistics, no database. The Justice Department doesn't have a database on how many of the 2.5 million Americans behind bars actually had their constitutional right to a speedy trial. So don't trust the cops. Don't trust the prosecutor. Don't trust the defense attorney. Don't trust the judge. Don't trust, don't trust the FBI or Madam D.A., down in Fulton County, they all want to put one in the win column, and they don't care how they do it. 
A 20-year-old in Uganda has become the second man charged with aggravated homosexuality, a crime thanks to a new law passed in May that is now punishable by death. Since passage of the law, Ugandan LGBTQ groups report violence against homosexuals as redoubled dramatically in the past three months, with an increase in arrests, firings at work, and evictions for anyone even thought to be gay. Outlawed in Uganda, second-degree homosexuality now carries with it a sentence of life in prison, whereas aggravated homosexuality that would be involving sex with a senior citizen is now punishable by death. Uganda is primarily a Christian nation, and according to the Chicago Council on Global Affairs, 10 years ago, evangelical Christians began to see that the fight against same-sex marriage in America was a losing battle, and many of them turned their sights on Uganda, one of the most Christian countries in all of Africa. Open Democracy reported back in October of 2020 that evangelical Christian groups have rained more than $54 million on Africa's growing anti-homosexual movement, with more than half of that money targeting Uganda, where homosexuality this morning is now punishable by death. It has been reported that Uganda's new anti-gay legislation that includes the death penalty was written and passed relying on funding from some of these American evangelical Christian groups. Open Democracy also reports that since 2007, evangelical Christian organizations in America have spent $280 million around the globe fueling hatred towards the LGBTQ community while helping them draft laws to the, similar to the one that got passed this year in Uganda. Open Democracy reports that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has spent the most spreading bigotry and hatred against the LGBTQ community around the globe. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has funneled more than $96 million around the world promoting bigotry and intolerance towards the LGBTQ community. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association is run by Billy Graham's idiot son, Franklin Graham, who, when stating his support for George W. Bush's illegal invasion of Iraq, called Islam, the religion of Islam, quote, a very evil and wicked belief system. Franklin Graham said he supported Donald Trump because he said Trump was God's choice. He said Satan, this is Billy Graham's idiot son, Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, in his support for Donald Trump, said Satan was behind the forces challenging Donald Trump's re-election. Franklin Graham calls homosexuality a sin, and, not surprisingly, he is a strong proponent of gay conversion therapy, which he compares to something as simple as converting a non-believer into becoming a Christian. 
The Alliance Defending Freedom, whose lawyers have launched several lawsuits in America, pitting the rights of Christians against same-sex couples, the Alliance Defending Freedom has spent more than $21 million spreading bigotry and hatred against the LGBTQ community around the globe. That's why the Southern Poverty Law Center lists the Alliance Defending Freedom as a hate group. Here are some of the leaders of the Alliance Defending Freedom. Dr. James Dobson, you can see him. He's one of the founders of the Alliance Defending Freedom. His focus on family has spent close to $18 million spreading bigotry around the globe. The Federalist Society, a far-right group of extremist lawyers, which handpicked all three of Donald Trump's Supreme Court picks, donated close to $6 million. Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Chief Justice John Roberts are also members of the Federalist Society, as is Fulton County, Georgia, Superior Court Judge Scott McAfee, who is currently presiding over the trial against Donald Trump down in Georgia and his 18 co-defendants down in Georgia. The Chicago Council on Global Affairs writes that much of this money spread out by these Christian evangelical associations, much of this money has been spent on arranging conferences where speakers convince Ugandans that traditional marriage in Uganda has always been between a man and a woman, and only a man and a woman. Local preachers are trained by Christian evangelists from America to convince their followers that homosexuality is a sickness that has been spread by the West through colonization. But the Chicago Council on Global Affairs writes that before the British came to Uganda, sexual diversity was part of that country's fabric, with tribes allowing for variegated roles in all sorts of relationships. Turns out it was Great Britain that introduced the anti-sodomy laws when it colonized the Ugandan people, trying to erase the rights of the LGBTQ community. According to Human Rights Watch, 80 countries around the world still have draconian laws banning homosexuality, and half, half of those countries are former British colonies who only outlawed homosexuality after, not before, after the British conquered them. Indeed, homosexuality is not a Western virus, as the evangelical Christians are trying to con Africans into believing. The complete opposite is true. Homophobia and intolerance are what the West brought to their victims of colonization. That's because persecution of the LGBTQ community is a form of control. It divides, then conquers, and creates a false hierarchy, allowing the conquered to help serve his majesty by oppressing their very own. It's why authoritarian regimes always begin 
by targeting people's sexuality. One of the easiest methods of dividing people is doing it along sexual lines. Ron DeSantis knows exactly what he's doing with his bathroom laws. He's making Floridians suspicious of each other instead of him and the dark money funding his party. The Daily Beast has done some follow-up on the Washington Post's reporting over the weekend on the two other men claiming they were sexually assaulted by Matt Schlapp, the chairman of the American Conservative Union that hosts CPAC. If you recall, Carlton Huffman, a GOP operative working last year on Herschel Walker's Georgia Senate run, filed a multi-million dollar sexual assault and defamation lawsuit against Matt Schlapp, as well as Schlapp's wife, Mercedes Schlapp. Huffman claims that during a visit to Georgia last year, an inebriated Matt Schlapp sexually assaulted him by making, quote, sustained and unwanted and unsolicited sexual advances. Huffman complained that Schlapp groped him and then began to, quote, pound my junk, unquote. Huffman said that after complaining about Schlapp's behavior, Schlapp's wife, Mercedes Schlapp, who is a vocal opponent of same-sex marriage and gets paid $175,000 to help in CPAC's communications department, Mercedes Schlapp proceeded to dig up dirt on Huffman and try to destroy his reputation. That's why he's suing her as well. On Tuesday, the Daily Beast reported that the Schlapps offered Huffman a six-figure settlement to make this all go away, but Huffman rejected it. Mark Corallo is the Schlapps' new, the Schlapps' new publicist. Corallo is also the official spokesman for Eric Prince, the founder of Blackwater. The publicist Corallo told the Daily Beast that the Schlapps have not offered to settle with their accuser because they have every intention of clearing Matt Schlapp's name in a court of law. Sure they do. Meanwhile, according to the Daily Beast and the Washington Post, there is growing concern about transparency especially when it comes to the bookkeeping inside Matt Schlapp's American Conservative Union, which also sponsors CPAC. Schlapp is resisting any investigation into how much money CPAC is spending on his legal fees. CPAC's treasurer resigned earlier this year, saying he couldn't in good conscience vouch for the financial statements submitted to the board. And on Friday... A board member stepped down, warning that Matt Schlapp's behavior could make the American Conservative Union subject to a criminal investigation. As I reported on Sunday, David Savavian, CPAC's general counsel, was stripped of his law license in Missouri and Washington, D.C., after being sentenced to serve one year in prison for perjury. He was later pardoned by Donald Trump and had his Washington, D.C. law license restored. In the 2020 presidential election, Matt Schlapp was one of the co-chairs of Catholics for Trump. 
He and his wife, Mercedes, are deeply religious. So it would behoove the both of them to heed the words of Pope Francis, who in 2020 said, quote, homosexuals have a right to be part of the family. They're children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. The Pope, by the way, has also come out against the death penalty and called for gun control and criticized the greed of capitalism that is causing man-made climate change. Granted, the Pope is opposed to abortion, but I still don't think Matt Schlapp, co-chair of Catholics for Trump, will be extending any invitations offering the Pope a speaking slot at next year's CPAC. Viktor Orban, the leader of Hungary, is more welcome there than the Pope is. Apparently, Matt Schlapp is a Catholic for Trump, which is quite different from a Catholic for Catholicism. I doubt His Holiness would want to be associated with CPAC. On August 5th of this year, the Pope met with Jesuits in Portugal and had some choice words for reactionary Catholics living in America. The Pope had some choice words for reactionary Catholics living in America. That would be Republicans, Catholic Republicans. The Pope had some choice words for Catholic Republicans. The Pope, on August 5th, warned that there are too many Catholics in America who are replacing faith with ideology. An ideology, he says, that extols the virtues of going backwards. That would be the definition of reactionary politics, right? He said the Pope... uh, uh, well, let me go on. So there are two types of conservatives. There, There's conservative politics, like those of Bill Buckley. Bill Buckley stood athwart history and shouted, slow down. And then there are reactionary conservative Catholics, monsters like Mike Pence, who ended up quitting the Catholic Church because it wasn't backwards enough for him. Pence is a reactionary conservative who wants to make America great again by taking us back 60 years ago when women were in the kitchen, homosexuals were in the closet, and black people were in their place. His Holiness said, quote, I want to remind these people that backwardness is useless and they must understand that there's a correct evolution in the understandings of questions of faith and morals. Let me read that again, because it's pretty powerful stuff, and it would behoove Catholic Republicans here in America to listen to the words of His Holiness. He said, I want to remind these people that backwardness is useless and they must understand that there's a correct evolution in the understanding of questions of faith and morals. The Pope said the Catholic religion is not some unwavering monolith. He warned, and this is really interesting, he warned that going backwards doesn't connect you to the roots of the church. Instead, it leads you further astray. Essentially, the Pope is saying the church must evolve 
and that going backwards, trying to find the original intent of the church, will only move you further away from it. Food for thought for Matt Schlapp, co-chair of Catholics for Trump. Is there anything you would like to add, Rudy Giuliani? I drink scotch. Uh-huh. Okay. Alcohol. Where's the quote I wanted? So you do not believe that you're drinking. Here it is. Anything you'd like to say, Rudy Giuliani? I like scotch. There you go. Anything else? I drink scotch. Yeah. I'll talk about that tomorrow. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. 